<laughs> What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday evening here. I know, I know you'd love to see Victor right now and do the advanced underwriting, but I must disappoint you. It's just Nathan and myself here tonight. <laughs> Say hello to Nathan, guys. Uh, tonight we do a special Zoom here. Victor actually is on vacation with his wife. And as you know, for us about the Freedom Chasers, family always comes first. So Victor is taking a break tonight and giving his wife and kids the attention they deserve. Um, and honestly, that gives us the opportunity to bring somebody in like Nathan. Nathan is a very valued partner of ours here, local in Chattanooga. Um, and we're really excited today to speak about a topic um, that has, you know, made news recently. You guys have seen it. I mean, we've been talking about where the market is trending and everything and what is happening. We saw a big foreclosure in Houston. Um, probably not the first, probably not the last. Um, just the one that made the news, right? Um, and uh, Nathan actually uh, came to me a couple of days ago and was like, hey, why don't we talk to the community um, about how to avoid that, you know? Share some information about uh, how to manage your assets, what to watch out for as a GP, but matter of fact, also as an LP, um, and share some good information here, how to protect your investments, how to protect your assets, um, and dive a little bit deeper into that. So um, with that being said, before we get started, as you know, we got to talk a little bit about the community. We have our ecosystem in place. We had last Sunday, um, we had our Sunday activation Zoom. <coughs> Monday, we had Peter that was calling brokers with you guys again. Yesterday, we had a great uh, napkin underwriting Zoom. I see Aldo in here. What's up, brother? Um, we have Ed and Will on and uh, yeah, tonight we don't have Victor, we have Nathan and myself here. So um, with that being said, I honestly, guys, I'll leave it. Um, I'll leave you guys uh, able to unmute yourself. There's no force mute here. Let's keep it casual. Um, if you have questions, put them in the chats or raise your hands or even unmute. That's fine. Just be mindful of the time, right? We want to be here for an hour, not more, not less. I mean, less if we don't have more to talk about. I hope that there are some questions at least because it's a good topic to talk about. Um, but keep the super casual here tonight. All right. Um, with that being said, today, how to ensure not to lose your assets or investments, eight key points for GPs and LPs. And with that, thank you, Nathan, for joining tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, anytime, anytime. I wouldn't miss it having you on, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why don't you introduce yourself again, Nathan? Yeah, I'm Nathan Waldorf with Waldorf Capital Ventures, um, and we're, I don't know, in a little over 830 some odd units now, uh, mostly in Dallas, but I'm from Chattanooga, and we've been putting LOIs in in Tennessee, uh, haven't landed something yet, we're still working on that, so, um, but yeah, yeah, and I've been in the real estate business I don't know, since 2005 in sales. And uh, we've been investing for more than 10 years uh, and, and, and have also been and kind of moved up from doing single family and stuff like that and in uh, small multifamily into apartment complexes and doing syndications with, uh, with a really, really good group of folks. So. Love it. Love it. As you can tell, Nathan has some experience. <laughs> yeah. And 
And the thing is, Nathan, you also went through some of these, right? Where you acquire an asset and you notice it's not as simple as just putting the autopilot on, hire a management company, right? And uh, just let it roll, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, I thought about your community a lot uh, with some of the things that have been going on. And then, you know, and that's, it's important to know that it, it isn't like you do your nine to five and you can buy an apartment building and l let it go, you know, but you really have to, you have to be on top of it. You know, you have to asset manage that property. Um, so you have to kind of know your metrics and know, uh, you know, how many how many leases you've got being signed, how many people you've got coming in, how many people you got going out, you know, who's right. not paying and keep it on top of the property manager, even to get them to uh, just to make sure they're, they're advertising the way they need to advertise and make sure that they're getting the evictions done that they need to get done and that the turns are happening quickly and all that. Exactly. Especially in the beginning, right? When you acquire an asset, I would say for probably the most people that have that nine to five, they spend, especially in the beginning, when you're new, you spend most of your time in acquisitions mode, right? Underwriting, underwriting, yeah. underwriting, talking to brokers, talking to brokers, that, 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 that. But once, once you have that, that first asset and you're in the run, you have your LOI submitted, you're in best and final, all of a sudden everything shifts towards going deeper into that. And then when you get it awarded, now all your time is being spent on due diligence, due diligence, due diligence, raise the money, close the deal. So your, your focus shifts quite a bit away from the acquisitions mode, really into uh, closing the deal mode, so to speak, right? And then once you close yeah. the deal, now you're in asset management mode, right? No more acquisitions, no more underwriting, no more close the deal. Now you got to hammer down the asset management and it's a, it's a long process, right? And this is where yeah, the beauty yeah. of a team down the line obviously come, comes into play. But in the beginning, that's that's just how it is. No autopilot there. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. And you really need to have even a dashboard that you're using to, to kind of track everything, to kind of track uh, all, all these different things, whether it's move outs and your trends, uh, your six month and your, or your three month trends so that you know where the property's going and you know if you're going to have issues in the future occupancy is probably the biggest the biggest thing that you've got to got to wrestle with um, and you have to keep up as soon as you purchase that property exactly especially in terms of requirements for your lenders right mm -hmm. um okay but let's get yeah, started for your cash flow <laughs> anything if you want to raise that NOI your occupancy's got to be good so that's it that's it your economic occupancy as well right <laughs> uh, yeah totally sounds good well let, let's get started Nathan why don't you intro the topic and then we're going to go through uh each point here and guys again right collaborative zoom throw stuff in the chats let's be active um and just make this an entertaining and collaborative uh, hour here yeah yeah, you know, I've been I've been really surprised at how, like, if you look at Bloomberg and some of those, how sensationalized the market is right now. And there, it seems like they love to talk about some commercial Armageddon that's happening while they're kind of grouping all commercial into one box. Uh, and it's 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 been 
really interesting while you've got, you know, the Urban Land um, Institute is saying that multifamily and industrial real estate are the best performing commercial assets in 2023. So, you know, you can't really, can't really group, uh, you can't really group oh. off. It's having a horrible time getting leased in with, with uh, apartment buildings. So I think there's definitely some sensationalized talk out there. Uh, but at the same time, we are in a, we're in a mode right now where you, you really have to take care of your asset when you get it, really, even when you're setting up the deal first, uh, when you're when you're making that foundation, and then when you own the deal. So, um, one of my mentors, I guess, uh, I think with who you work is probably, if I were to say your point number one of whether you're a GP or an LP, you really need to know who you're working with. Uh, one of our mentors said the three key things to look for when you're buying an apartment complex is the property the location, and the GP or the GP team. And in his opinion, he said the GP really is the most important piece. So you need to know who you're working with. You need to, you need to trust who you're working with um, and know that they're going to be making good decisions, know that they're informed in, in what they're doing. So um, it's about the people, right, Nathan? It's about the people in the end. Yeah, yeah, your people are important, you know, so you want people who are going to make good decisions, you want people you can trust, and you want people who taking the time to kind of get educated and know what they're doing in this business. Right. How do you how do you how do you figure that out, Nathan? Let's say you're, you're right, you're, you're new to the game, you got 100k to invest. How do you figure that out? Like who who, who is the right horse to bet on? You know, that's a great question. I mean, I think you, a lot of it is, for us, a lot of it was about networking with a lot of folks. And, and there is a little bit of following your instinct as well as watching people's track, track record um, that kind of helped us know whether we wanted to invest with people or not. And like we talked about in that other Zoom, you know, making sure their core values seemed to match ours was, was really important. So um, that's also important when you seek your partners, right? I mean, this is definitely an important yeah, question totally. for, for LPs, right? Limited partners to invest, but, but it, it, it's just as important for general partners, specifically people that just started out being apartment operators when you go into a deal with others, right? I mean, you probably need a key principal, someone that can sign on the loan. You need to partner up with somebody that might have a couple more deals under their belt. And in the end, yeah. it's the same principle, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a five-year relationship, whether you're a GP or an LP. And so you need to you need to know that you want to be in that relationship for five years, you know. Exactly. You need to know that you feel really secure with those people. You get you get married, really, right? I just had uh, somebody yeah. tell me the other day, um, if, if the relationship doesn't work out and you get divorced, now you're divorced with kids, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. The apartment <laughs> building, me and your kids. <laughs> but you know even then even if you really trust the the general partner whether you're going to be a co-gp with them or an lp you do want to ask to see the underwriting i mean you know i'd say that's that's kind of step two is you need to see uh the underwriting that they have i know our first gp investment we really didn't ask enough questions or lp investment excuse me 
uh, we just trusted the, we just trusted the general partner and kind of went with it. But and so I wouldn't suggest that. I would suggest getting a hold of the underwriting. If you don't feel well-versed enough in underwriting to really understand it, you might have your a CPA or maybe even just pay a broker or commercial realtor to look over it with you or for you and, and help help you kind of evaluate it. And obviously, if they're given some sort of crazy inflated returns, like, oh, we're going to get you 3x or more on your money, then they may not know what they're doing. You know? So you want to make sure that, that whatever you're being promised uh, is is reality and isn't just, you know, somebody blowing smoke. That's right. And that's that's where beauty or the community is, is a beauty, right? Being Being surrounded by people that are like-minded, maybe a couple steps ahead, right? I mean, for example, I know in this call here, we have Aldo who, who's di diving deep into underwriting on a daily basis and is leading in Zoom. We got yeah. Jerry Miles here, right? Who is a debt broker for, for mm -hmm. many years and, and is always approachable and can, can verify underwriting. So the more boxes one can check and the more people one knows, right? Um, the better one is set there to get numerous opinions. Yeah. And it sounds yeah. boring, right? It sounds like, oh, do I really have to go check this? It is, be but fun. it's essential. If you don't underwrite, you don't know what you can offer on a property. You know, you don't know where where you can go with the property or if you can even, especially right now, there's this huge disconnect between what sellers want out of their properties and what a buyer can pay uh, without being in a bad situation with their cash flow. So, um, so you've got to be able to underwrite and have some idea of, properties you're looking at are going to work or not exactly exactly okay so we have number one that is the team right the team yeah. is its essence people is always number one uh, then we have number two make sure to review the underwriting and also understand the underwriting right yeah. now th this this goes for gps and obviously uh, for for lps and gps right i mean you would hope that uh, as a gp you you know the underwriting <laughs> And you yeah. review the underwriting, right? But specifically for LPs as well. So point number three, Nathan. Before you jump on a GP deal with somebody, you want to look over the underwriting and make sure you're you're comfortable with how they've underwritten it, you know? Because you're the right. one that's going to be going out there, standing behind that underwriting, raising equity, you know? So. so true. And that's another thing also, maybe before we jump there is, when you do raise equity, I mean, you, you need to know about the deal, right? Because for your investors in that case, you're the face. You're the one that buys the deal. You, right? Nobody, no co-GP, no nothing. It's you that buys the deal. So you need yeah. to know the underwriting like in your back pocket, right? Yeah, in the business plan. You need to know both of those like crazy to exactly. get people to, to join in with you in the investment. Because it's a blessing that we're trying to give. It's not just us trying to go out there and make money, but we're trying to bring other people along with us. So, um, so yeah. And I mean, the third thing you had it up there a second ago is really, you got to put safeguards in place from the get go. And there were the last couple of years, there have been, there have been some lending and some things like that, that prop where folks didn't have enough safeguards. I think most people knew enough to know, that they needed to buy rate cap insurance, but some didn't, you know? So you've got to have rate cap insurance. Honestly, most people are using fixed rate debt right now. 
um, are using something more more institutional that's um, you know an agency type loan that's that's at least five years or so with some fixed rate debt. But you've got to make sure your loan term is long enough. There are a lot of people doing say these two year terms with two one year extensions, but um, but anyway, and, and, and you've just got to make sure that your term is long enough for you to have success on your property. Now, Nathan, when you say rate cap insurance. Some of the safeguards that weren't put in by some <laughs> GPs in the past couple of years. When you say rate cap insurance, Nathan, just for everyone to understand, what, yeah. what exactly is a, is a rate cap? And what would rate cap insurance in that case be? So... Uh, a lot of people, I'd say, even a year or two years ago, were were getting bridge debt um, that was that had a floating rate component to it, and rates were low for so long that a lot of people thought, "Hey, uh, this is great. Why in the world would I get fixed rate debt? Plus, fixed rate debt when you go to sell, sometimes there's a prepayment penalty." But um, so what that does is, if you got if you buy rate cap insurance that says, okay, well, it's an insurance to where if, if the interest rate goes up, most of them were, were somewhere around like 2%, goes up say by 2%. After anything after that, if it goes higher than 2%, then that insurance starts kicking in and you're still paying the mortgage. And then in the rears, they're sending you checks to for the difference for for how much higher over that two percent um your 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 more well yeah your your loan payment is costing you so so that's that's a, kind of what rate cap insurance was and a few years ago it was a couple of hundred thousand bucks and now it's like a million bucks i mean it's it's really expensive to get it because rates did get so volatile after a while and this is what puts people in trouble now. Exactly that, right? This is why you have capital calls. Really is because uh, number one, people can't uh, uh, settle their debt, right? And number two, need to buy these rate caps. And now they don't cost 100, they cost a million. And if they don't, don't buy this rate cap, they won't be able to pay their debt moving forward, right? That and the lenders were also starting to tell them, look, you're, you know, you're, your term is up soon and we want you to have, well, or they were forcing them to buy and they were saying, hey, you already have a rate cap insurance until X time, but we need you to go ahead and start escrowing for when that rate cap insurance expires so that you can buy a new one. Um, so that's why a lot of people have had to do capital calls. And honestly, the, the fourth point we had was like, don't over leverage, you know, they're, there were a lot of people getting, like I said, getting 80, or maybe I didn't say this already, they were getting 80% bridge debt. Um, and then they were financing in the rehab for the property, um, which seemed to make sense at the time. But the problem is, is that when, when it came around and, and they need to refinance because interest rates are going up and maybe they've got you know a shorter term and not long enough term, then they're, they, they weren't able to refinance because their debt service coverage ratio or the DSCR, they couldn't meet that because they were so over leveraged. Um, and that's about, it's 1.25. So it's basically, uh, hopefully I'm explaining this right, but it's, it's gotta be 
1.25 times your debt service is uh is what is what you need to be making in the property. And if you're not making that, then a lender's not going to refinance you. And so that's that's another area that people have been have been kind of caught lately. So another reason I've had some of our general partners say that it's it's better to get a longer term debt with um with a larger down payment so that so that you're not over leveraged so that you're not going to be in this in this situation anymore. Exactly, exactly. Now, uh, Nathan, what, what's 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 your experience on on your assets right now? What what are some of the major actions you know that that one needs to take to make sure you know that your DSCR stays in place? And, and where, where does your focus need to be? Because obviously, if you put this on autopilot and you notice like a couple of months months down the line, you're in some hot waters. Yeah, I mean, probably one of the most important points of the whole night that we started with was it is that you really you've got to manage the asset i know i'm skipping a couple ahead but um we can get there we, we, we can get there after we can get there yeah. after so we don't jump ahead yeah um, i mean you've got to keep your your net operating income up so i mean we've got we do have a property that's uh that we bought with a bridge but we also bought it with a rate cap you know so our payment has gone up, but our NOI has gone up a ton, you know, like we've been doing the remodeling, we've been doing the rehab, we've been raising rents, we've been getting that, we've got the occupancy is like king right now. So that's what you've got to focus on the most is keeping your occupancy up. And so we're safe. Uh, we're very safe um, financially, you know, like we're not, we're not going to be underwater with our DSCR or anything, but You've, that's that's your big thing. You got to keep your occupancy up and and um, in order and ex, and fulfill your business plan so that you can raise your NOI and and be able to be able to have the money coming in so that you're not going to be in trouble with that DSCR number. So really, two takeaways. Also, I think uh, when when buying an asset right now, number one, fix that right. Let do fix that right now. If for whatever reason. You do a bridge loan because uh, that's what the asset requires and that's what your investors are willing to to take on. You need to buy rate cap, right? Even though they are, I mean, probably not affordable. Now, um, something probably that that one uh, can can see on the markets where, where sellers probably also going to be struggling is exactly that occupancy, right? Because uh, we, we all know that your, um, your agency debt is not going to come in unless you have a 90% occupancy. Now, if, if you're below that 90% occupancy because you're struggling, it's going to be hard to find a buyer uh, that comes in with some solid debt there because he's only got two options, really. Number one is get bridge debt, which is, again, going to be tough to find equity for and you need to buy a rate cap. Or number two is you go the regular bank banking finance route if, you, if your bank is approving that. But from what I've been hearing is that banks are, are, are not very happy in improving loans right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, Fannie and Freddie are they're they're dying to give multifamily loans, to be honest. But yeah, it's true. Yeah, they're, too. They're, you're gonna have to have a certain amount of occupancy in order to in order to get that kind of loan through. Exactly. <clears throat> exactly. All right. And now uh, point number five. What you mentioned in the beginning, right? Everyone always says it. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Location is one of the three sacred cows that we were talking about earlier and everybody knows it, but you know, if, if you're, if you're, your, your location of your property really impacts the quality of your tenant, you know, do you really do you want the tenant who, who's going to work the system and <laughs> get, get out of rent for months um, just in, and leave it kind of on your back or do you want to you want a tenant who's going to be who's going to be paying their rent you know so you really need to make sure your location's good um, in order to hopefully avoid those issues even in a good location you're still going to have some people that that run into hard times or maybe aren't paying their rent and that's just part of it but um but if you're in a terrible location you may have a whole lot of people who aren't paying the rent if you don't know the locations and certain sub-market you're looking at, you need to find somebody there that, that knows them and, and ask, you know, ask for those second opinions and make sure that you're looking in a good spot. That's right. In the end, I, I would say, I would claim the worse the location, the higher the risk, right? That's really what it comes down to, right? And yeah. the higher the risk right now, the more likely you run into some problems and, and that's what uh, exposes you to lose your investment or lose your asset, right? Doesn't mean that you need to only buy in class A locations right now, class A assets, right? Um, but there is definitely, there, I would claim there's also solid C-class assets, C-class locations, right? That are, that are somewhat stable, work in areas, blue color for sure. That doesn't mean you should only buy uh, A-class assets now, right? With white color uh, tenants. Um, but it need the location needs more scrutiny, I would say, right? To make sure, do you fully know how this location is being operated, and do you set yourself up for success? Yeah, and it needs, you know, obviously, it needs to be an area where people are moving. It needs to be an area that's got jobs uh, and opportunities, so that you kind of have bodies in the door. And it needs to be an area where your employment's good, so that folks have money to pay the rent. Um, so, and even honestly, right now, class a, your, your lowest vacancies are really in C and B right now, um, C and B class properties, because there's a lot of class a being delivered. And so if you're looking at a class a, you really want to look at what else is being delivered around it. I would say there are areas we're looking at a property that's class a, but there isn't a ton of class a delivery right around it. And so that's what makes us a little more excited about it. And this, this and is what we say. Area where, where I've had to reach out to folks I know and say, hey, I just want to make sure is this, is, is this where this is a good spot for a good enough spot for me to pursue it. So exactly. And if some of you guys, I'm sure, joined the advanced underwriting with Victor here before. Uh, when we say advanced underwriting for him recently, that was a lot of uh, market analysis. So uh, as part of his market analysis was uh, the real estate cycle, right? The market cycle. And uh, right now, if you really look at, at a bunch of uh, market analysis uh, data for some MSAs, you can see that uh, the occupancy is rising because there's more units delivered than they are being absorbed, right? You can see, I feel like in some of the reports, you can see, well, year over year, there's rent growth. Well, but what about quarter over quarter, right? And, and, and on quarter over quarter, you can really see that the trend is going down now. And if you look at the market cycle right now, 
it's 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 really now trending towards that um what is it called over um over delivery whatever it's called it's going towards recession or is, is already in recession depending on the market and uh, now it's trending towards that way where you really want to keep an eye because if you can buy where where it's in in the end of recession and coming towards recovery that's a, that's a great point uh, to buy right nathan or tell me if i'm wrong here <laughs> yeah i mean i i feel like there are a lot of opportunities right now as soon yeah. as kind of the <laughs> Buyers and sellers get on the same page, you know. Yeah. I think there are going to be some great opportunities this year to to buy properties that are on sale compared, especially especially compared to a year or a year and a half ago, you know. So, um, and then we, as soon as most likely rates are going to be stabilized and at the end of the year to the sometime next year, I feel like rates are going to stabilize. A lot of people who have been sitting on the sidelines are probably going to come into the market. And so I feel like all of that you can't underwrite for, but I really feel like there demand's going to come back. And I feel like pricing is probably going to start to go up again. So, it's very interesting. That you say that because we had Michael Blanc on a couple of weeks ago, right? And and he said exactly that. He said once the rates will stabilize. Now I think there's a key takeaway here. Once the rates stabilize, he estimates that the prices will go up again because there's certainty in the market, and uh, yeah. and there's like you say, there's money on the sidelines right now that then will go in. Um, so he he expects that uh, once the rates stabilize, there there's gonna be an an, an uptick in price again. So. That's why really this is the time right now ahead of us or not right now um, to get in, right? Yeah. And I can't say, I don't know, there have been a lot of people saying, oh, there's going to be this bloodbath of bad loans coming. And I haven't seen it yet. I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like lenders are, the good general partners are in touch with their lenders and lenders are saying, all right, what you need to be doing is X, Y, and Z right now to get your ducks in a row for when rates do have one of their little dips that you'll have everything ready to go and you can go ahead and refinance and, 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 and get out of your, you know, your loan that maybe where the term is going to expire in a year or where your rate cap is up in a year or something like that. So, um, so, you know, I, I don't really know <laughs> if that bloodbath's coming or not. Uh, it's sort of like you kind of hope for it and kind of don't because you know that if it does happen, it's going to impact properties you already know, their values. But, um, but I definitely think we're in, a, we're in a place where there may be some people that need to sell in the near future. And, uh, and I think there could be some good opportunities. How do you think, Nathan, for, for people in this room, what's, what is the best way to set yourself up to capitalize on those opportunities? Like, how do you get your ducks in a row for that? Yeah. So, I mean, of purchasing a property, is that what you mean? Yeah. I mean, like, like you just mentioned, right? You think there will be some opportunities coming up now for some people that, that may have to sell or not. Uh, and for everyone on the call here, you know, it's important to get yeah. your ducks in a row. You just maybe just starting out, maybe a little further down the line. But what are some of the key points that are important to set yourself up successfully now to be ready to pull the trigger and be able to capitalize on those opportunities? Yeah, I mean, like like we talked about last time a lot, you got to you first have to have your team. So, I mean, you are going to need your 
key principal, uh, you know, the guy who's who's got the money to get the loan. Um, and you're going to need other general partners to help you raise the equity that you need to raise. Um, and you're going to need somebody who's got experience who can get that loan, who, who they'll, they'll issue the loan to. So, I mean, you're going to need those pieces. I would say get your database in line, you know, figure out who it is you would even go to, to, to try and to ask for equity, be prepared to hear no a lot. <laughs> That's just part of it. That's part of any business, I think, because you're going to get a lot of no's, but you're just looking for the yeses and you're just presenting an opportunity and you can't take it personally. You've just got to put it out there. So um, I think I having you saying that, that, Nathan. Yeah, I remember you saying that to everything. me on the call. You, you mentioned that a lot. I remember you saying that to me on the call recently where you guys were still raising for your last deal. And yeah. I asked you guys how, how you guys are doing. You told me. Uh, hearing a lot of no's. I don't feel like I've ever heard so many no's at, at one time, but that's exactly <laughs> what, what this is about. <laughs> it happens, man. I mean, I was, you know, it's kind of go time once you once you get a property under contract and you're ready to start raising equity and you, know, you are kind of on the phone and having lunches and dinners and stuff yeah. as, as much as you can to sort of tell people, hey, here's the opportunity we've got. Is this of interest to you? And Stina folks want to invest and we really feel like it's an investment. We get to give an investment that that not many people have. I mean, it's it's a lot better than even investing in a real estate stock. You know, they're they're not going to give you double your money and five percent per year. People right now are burying money in in bonds because they're giving them a four and five percent return, and they're calling it safe. And to me, that doesn't seem super safe because the return's so low. I'd rather take four, I'd rather take 5% per year and then in five years, double my money and, and get a big tax savings along the way. So, you know, that's what we kind of need to be getting in front of people, talking to them about diversifying in real estate through this type of investment, but without having, uh, without having to deal with tenants and toilets where that's dealt for them, dealt with for them. So you know, I'd say those are those are the things you need to kind of set up right now. You need to know who your other partners are going to be also like your property manager. Make sure the property manager is huge. I mean, they can kind of make or break property. Um, so and sometimes you got to know when to replace a property manager because they're not performing. So, you know, that that's going to be a really important piece. That you've got that right person in place. You got the right legal team in place. They can do your private placement memorandum. So, um, have your team in place, right? Yeah, have you, have finding the right lender, place. finding the yeah. right lender is huge too. Exactly, that, I, and and this is this is the chance to do that right now, right? And I want to reiterate on one thing that you mentioned is uh, when when you got on the contract, you know, it's 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 money raising time, and and what Nathan means by that, that doesn't mean now he's this the first time he's reaching out to to new investors, right? This Nathan is always talking to new investors on a daily basis, right? Because there's always money raising time. If you only start raising money for a deal, when you have a deal, it's a bit too late and you're probably going to start scrambling, right? So I know you guys have a big investor pool already, but once you have those deals under contract, that's when you really engage and go to your existing database or an existing investor base. Plus, 
the new uh, people that you still um, get to meet down, uh, you know, wherever you are, right? I mean, every situation in life is a, is a, is a potential investor interaction, right? Yeah, yeah. I even had, I had some other business conversations with some folks recently, and, you know, about uh, I was trying to find a trying to find a property for somebody and, and talk talking to an estate attorney. And he was like, oh, yeah, I saw that you've been doing some apartment stuff. And I said, yeah, let me tell you about that. He's <laughs> like, well, let me know when you have a deal again. So I'm like, yes, you know, so you I definitely keep a short list when I'm between deals of the people who are like, I would really be interested in that so that I know I go to those guys first. You know, if I get a deal, I'm, I'm going right back to those guys first. And those guys may not always pan out either, but uh, at least you've got that short list. Um, so that you can turn to. Sounds good. All right. So we got, again, just to reiterate uh, how to make sure not to lose your assets or investments to get back to mm -hmm. that. Number one, how to protect your assets, how to protect your assets. Exactly. <laughs> so that's how so, you're supposed to write it. <laughs> ah, see, learned that, that's my takeaway for today. Yeah. <laughs> so number one is the team. Number two is the underwriting. Number three, the safeguards we talked about. Number four, don't over leverage. Number five, location matters. And now this is really the big one, I think, right, Nathan? The next point here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we sort of hit on it a little bit, but you know, you, you have to manage the asset. Like like what you said earlier, Marcel was really true. We just got done raising equity for a deal in Dallas, really, really cool deal. And, um, at the end of it, we're, we were all, you know, pumped and celebrating. And the lead GP said, yep, <clears throat> we raised it. We closed it. That's great. But now's where the real work starts. So, so right. I, you know, a lot of what I'd be saying now probably is, is a little, little bit of repetition, but um, you've really got to manage the asset. Like that's huge. You've got to be on top of your metrics. Um, is there any way I can share something? Absolutely. Um, Just hit share. <laughs> I know. Now I'm looking for share screen. So you need to have your own kind of spreadsheet. I'm just going to show you this as sort of an example. This one's blank, but, um, but anyway, we use something like this on our asset management calls where we, you know, we always have the number of units. We're always tracking how many are occupied, what percent's occupied, 60 day trends total vacant, total that are ready, total units that are down, move-ins, move-out. So we track a pretty long list of stuff, our renewals that are signed, uh, total that are upgraded. You know, we track all of this stuff so that we know where, where we are and where we're going to be. So it's really helpful to know like, oh crap, I might be at 88% occupancy or less and something's got to change. So you know, we, we do all of this stuff just to make sure we know our metrics. We know what's going on. Um, quarterly run comps to see if we, where our rents are and where they need to be. If we need to readjust our, our market rent, we track kind of our interior upgrades that are getting done and our CapEx. So, um, so, I mean, you've really got, I would say even, we went to business mastery with Tony Robbins and he had us repeat, uh, what was it? 
I love numbers and numbers love me <laughs> several times throughout the, uh, throughout the event. And it's, and it's really true. You've got to, you've got to be able to track your metrics, know what's going on. Um, you know, for us, Nathan, one quick question before yeah. you go to the next one on this one, just for clarification for everyone on the call, is it you guys that fill out this spreadsheet based on all the reports you receive from your management team or Do you make your management team fill this out on a consistent basis and then review it with them together? Yeah, we typically have them. We typically have them fill it out and help keep us uh, keep us on track and help us help us know where the property is going. Sounds good. So what does that mean? That means you need to hold your management team accountable because I, I can tell out of my experience is. Don't expect this sheet to be filled out if you don't ask for it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that happens once, that happens twice. And when they feel like, oh, they don't ask for it, it's not going to happen a third time. Yeah. Or it's going to happen like a little bit, but not really. Yeah, I mean, this is really how how you track their performance um, is, is by looking at the trends, looking at where they're going, secret shopping your own property, reviewing their, you know, we've got a tab or we'll review their, um, review their marketing and make sure that they're marketed where we need to. And, um, and, and this, cause your, your, your property manager is that important. And, and, you know, we had our property manager, we had a property manager on a property, wasn't getting it done, didn't seem to want to make any changes or improvements. And we've, we had to switch property managers. So, I mean, it's, it's part of it and, and not sometimes not switching can be the fatal error that, um, that can tank your property, you know, because them not performing means that you're not, that you don't have the kind of money coming in that you should have in that you're not raising your NOI um, it could mean you don't have enough money to pay your, pay your bill. So that is not the position you want to be in. Um, but hopefully if you've got all of these other fundamentals in line, as well as you're watching the numbers, it'll keep you from kind of steering into the ditch. And this is probably what you're going to see. These are the deals that will be coming on market probably, right? Is exactly the, the, the operators that do not manage the assets well. And when, when one says the asset, likely it's going to be managing the manager well. They don't manage the manager well. Right? Yeah, that, it could be. It could be that some of them come online because they, they weren't good asset managers or it could just be that they're doing, you know, the term of their loan is up and they can't refinance or, or they can't get out from underneath their, you know, they didn't, their rate cap wasn't long enough and, and they can't afford the rate you know what I mean? And so they're just having to get rid of the thing. So yeah. um, let me ask Nathan, the group real quick here. Um, I know what Nathan showed was just a simple Excel sheet, right? But is, is, is this some information that you would like uh, to, to have, you know, I mean, Nathan, is this, this a sheet that, that is accessible or? Um... Uh, I don't know. I'd sort of uh, from one of our other partners, you know, sort of pulled back the curtain for us on that. And I don't really have permission to share it, unfortunately. But. We'll have to put, we'll have to put something together like this as a community. Uh, yeah. But my hope is just, was just to kind of give you a picture of it so that you knew, okay, this is the type of thing I've got to create some sort of spreadsheet exactly. 
where I can track what's going on with the property and make sure it's it's in the right place. And if you're a limited partner, honestly, and you're not getting reports and stuff from your general partner that you've invested with, then you need to become the squeaky wheel and you need to be start, you need to ask them, hey, what's going on with the property? Really love to get reports. Typically, you you should get monthly reports on what's happening with the property and where the financials are. Um, and if you have questions, most GPs are going to be, they're going to be happy to answer questions of stuff that they see on those reports. So. That's right. That's right. Full visibility, right? Full visibility and transparency, which is also one of the core values here of the community and, and yeah. our team is to make sure that's always given. Okay. Want to move on? Yeah. Yeah, that's what kind of a good segue in the no, you got to know your cash flow. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, it sort of comes down to that and the, the transparency piece, you know, would you rather your general, if you were a limited partner invested in a deal, would you rather your general partner be giving you quarterly payments that is putting the property in jeopardy because there's not enough money to pay all the other bills or would you, and usually those quarterly payments, you're talking in the hundreds of dollars anyway, it depends what you've invested, but say it's in a hundred, hundreds of dollars. Would you rather get that or would you rather the general partner be protecting the asset so that you're not losing your $50,000 or more that you've invested into the property? You know, um, so you've got to know your cash flow um, and you've got to sometimes be willing to tell your limited partners, hey, here's where we are. Here's why we're being a little more cautious about making distributions right now because we want to make sure we hit X, Y, and Z goals. Or here's why we're upgrading units a little slower or to a different degree at the moment because we're trying to be wise with the money that we have and, uh, and make sure we take care of the asset first, your biggest investment first, um, and then make sure you've got your you know, to, so that you're going to get, because the biggest reward isn't honestly the 5% per year that you're making on your money. Your biggest reward is when the property sells in five years and you double their, the money you've invested. So, okay. so yeah, knowing your cash flow would be, would be our point number eight. <laughs> on both sides, right? But legitimately, like you said, Sorry. just, just uh -huh. get ahead of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but to reiterate on both sides, right? On the general partner side, for sure. If you don't know your cash flow, that's going to be a big problem. But even on the limited partner side, right? That, that you know, uh, based on the reports, uh, wh where's the cash flow coming from, right? Yeah. Now, on the flip side, you got to know the expenses. Yeah, you got to know your expenses too. So, and some of that's an upfront, a lot of that's an upfront thing. So, you know, like you need to get an insurance ind indication ahead of time. That's what they call it. So it's kind of like your insurance quote is really an insurance indication. <laughs> you want to get that from your from your insurance folks because what folks are what folks have been paying in insurance and what you will be paying is probably a very different thing. I mean, I think they're starting to insurance carriers are starting to raise their their rates on people that have existing policies as well. But insurance changed a lot in the past year. Um so you need to make sure you've got that down and that you know your know your taxes. Nice thing in Tennessee is 
uh, even in the Nashville area, I know in Chattanooga area, they are, uh, they reassess like every four years, which is awesome. But, um, and, and then there's some little sub areas in Nashville where they, they will make adjustments annually, but there aren't, aren't that many of them, I don't think. So I don't know. I always double check that too, <laughs> but like in, a, like in Texas, they reassess every year. It's kind of insane. So you need to know where your property is going to end up tax wise in the coming year and, uh, and, and be prepared for that. Cause those are your, your two biggest expenses. It's uh, huge with insurance right now, Nathan. I mean, yeah, we just submitted on a, on a deal where the insurance legitimately almost doubled in the underwriting, you know, yeah. I mean, it was what, like 38 K a year. And we ran first quote came here from Brian. Matter of fact, you, your, your insurance guy yeah. <laughs> came, came back in the, in the low seventies. And I was like, man, I mean, really? I mean, and he brings up a good, good product, right? It's not just some wishy-washy stuff, but obviously we, we, uh, we triple bid it out and also with the management company and man, that's where it came back to. And that's what the lenders are saying right now as well to us is like insurance has been an absolute, uh, I mean, nutcase, you know, yeah. and hard to estimate as well, because the data they say that they are using for their underwriting sometimes is not caught up yet uh, with where the rates are at because they went up so fast. Yeah, taxes and insurance are the two things that you can't just take some guys, you can't just take the broker's T12 and trust they're going to be saying the same for you. Like you've got to go double check those two numbers uh, or that could be a huge hole in your boat in a sense, yeah. you know, um, and you've really got to underwrite for that. So, so yeah, I mean, I would say all in all, if you put safeguards in and you really work at this, you really work at this at work at being an asset manager and pushing your property manager. Uh, if you really set a good foundation, you, you will be fine. And I think you'll do really well, but you know, a lot of it does start with what they're teaching you every Wednesday night. It starts with your underwriting being being good and solid, uh, but also doing commonsensical things like we talked about tonight, you know, rate caps, the right lending and things like that to make sure that that uh, your your asset, your assets is going to be protected throughout the whole deal. Exactly. I mean, in, in, in what I hear, uh, um, Robert Martinez likes to mention that uh, there is a difference between just being a syndicator and putting together a deal, but also being an operator and manage the deal, right? Um, because acquisitions and, and, and syndicating, raising money, closing a deal is one thing, but running the deal is, is a complete different one. Yeah. And this, this is what everybody needs to be aware of. And we noticed that as well with, with the deal that we're managing when, especially on the first one, I don't know how it was for you, Nathan, on your first deal, right. On the bigger scale, but you feel like it's, it's taken so much effort, so much effort to close the deal. Right. And, and you're just saying like, Oh, I can't wait. And you sign that deal and you feel that relief until you couple of days in, you notice like, wait a minute, like, why am I back into this, uh, this, this, uh, this, I wouldn't call it maybe stressed, but like, uh, like a lot of work again, right? 
mm-hmm. um, it's it's honestly I like to compare it and it, this sounds a little bit funny but is when when you expect your your first child you know I can say this from from my wife she was saying oh, I can't wait I can't wait when in month eight I can't wait for the ninth month and for it to come out you know essentially mm-hmm. and everybody says don't you wait that's when the real world starts <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah and I mean when you when you first get a property, you're going to be on property management calls with them weekly until that yeah. thing gets stabilized. And uh, Marcel and I were talking in the beginning, a lot of times you inherit tenants that weren't paying before the thing closed that you've got to get out of your property. Um, and yeah, I saw Natasha said something in the comments about one of Robert's, I think Robert Martinez buys a lot in Houston and that's, and and rates have gone way up in Houston, so that doesn't surprise me that some of his insurance rates double. So exactly. Florida's gone insane too, if at all, right? Florida, right? If you yeah. can even get a quote at this point, yeah. Okay, uh, let's do this. Let's uh, before before we we get to the end, maybe do a little bit Q and A and and wrap up. Nathan, want to make sure for everybody to recap. Um, on on all the eight points unless you have another comment to expenses here and i'm cutting you short all right so we we had just to go back again right to recap is uh, how to ensure not to lose your assets or investments or lose your assets right <laughs> yeah yeah um, is number one the sponsorship team strong sponsorship team big time it's always about the people Right. At some point also for everyone to know, you can't scale your talent. So you need people at some point. And uh, the hardest thing to manage, I noticed in my corporate career and everywhere else is to manage people. It's not to figure out the problem. It's not to do the work yourself. It's always going to be people. <laughs> um, number two, review the underwriting. That's clear as a GP, as an LP, make sure you understand it. And if you don't, Make sure that you have a network around you or a community like we have it where you can have people around you that can support you with that. Number three, safeguards. Make sure that uh, you have uh, rate caps or whatever that is in place or fixed term debt um, that you will not run into the problem that you lose your asset really without being able to do anything about it. Let's let's face it, right, Nathan? Um, Mm -hmm. Number four, do not over leverage. We talked about that extensively here. DSCR, debt service coverage ratio. Um, number five, location, 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 location matters. That doesn't mean you can't buy a C-class asset. That means you need to know the market, right? That means market analysis. If you're not familiar with market analysis, hop onto our YouTube channel, Multifamily Freedom Chasers. Victor was doing extensive um teaching on that. I think he did four Zooms on it, maybe two, three, four Zooms, where he goes really into detail, full presentation, market cycle, jobs, everything. What's a, what's a, a job matter to a, to a market that is bringing money in from the external that then gets spent in the market or money that is being produced in the market and stays in the market. So there's different things that you need to consider. So location is more than just where your building is standing, right? <laughs> Um, number six, manage the asset. We just uh, spoke extensively about that. And then number seven, be aware of the cash flow. Number eight, be aware of the expenses. And as an LP, 
really ask for visibility and transparency into that, right? Um, all right, that, that wraps up um, all these numbers here. I would like well, yeah, to tell you, you guys- want, I've also got, if you go to our, we've got a website, it's the, make sure you put in the wealthbuildingtrifecta.com. So if you go there, you can download a report after you sign in that gives even more things about how to kind of safeguard your, uh, your assets. So, um, so be and sure- Everyone should have told me to share my screen. I, I know, shared. I know, I know. I, I didn't know if you forgot or what, but <laughs> because here it is. I was like, yes, download, right down, download that, and then I'll have some some good stuff on there too. Exactly. Make make sure you do that. And with that, we only have a couple minutes left, but I I do want to give uh, the opportunity uh, for everybody else to follow our social media channels, of course. <laughs> Now plug into the Facebook group, guys, Multifamily Freedom Chasers, same with YouTube uh, and, and on Instagram. We have, I think everybody should have your Instagram handle in your name, by the way. But real quick, we have a couple minutes left. If you have questions that you just want to fire away right here, right now to Nathan, to myself or to the group. I mean, we have Jerry here, debt broker from the community here. If you have any questions, raise your hand real quick and, and we get you up here. I see Piyush, Piyush, I hope I say this right. Hey, how are you guys? Yes, good. Or PJ. Hey, my question is, uh, what do you guys think about investing in student housing? And also, since student housing is very cyclical, we do not have ninety percent occupancy, so we have to get a, a bridge loan. Uh, you know, three-year bridge loan. So, how do you guys feel about doing such kind of deal? Student housing with a bridge loan, and later on converting into a permanent loan. Um. I mean, student housing is harder to finance. So that's, that's the big, that's really the big kicker that's kept us from doing it, that and what students do to housing. So I've had to do things because we did, we had a great one come up uh, here in Chattanooga that was like two blocks from UTC. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I even talked to one of my one of my partners about it. And he was like, "Yeah, I'm not doing that." So, <laughs> so I think I think it's the debt piece um, is is definitely a hard part. Your debt's going to be more expensive, and your maintenance is going to be a whole lot higher. So it's just it's a little a little riskier, and that that's going to kind of be uh, be I don't know in your court to decide whether you want to do that or not. So, so, so follow up, I feel a little like I think I'm a little concerned about getting rich loan because I do not know where interest rate will be at the three years mark. It could be 10%, it could be 4%. So that is a risk we will be taking, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I know one guy that, what does he have? He's got a, he owns more than a billion worth in real estate and multifamily and he swears by, he thinks he wants to do a bridge loan this year for some reason. And, and, um, uh, cause he thinks rates are going to be lower next year, but I don't know. He's got a little deeper <laughs> pockets than most. Yeah. I'm sure he's getting a rate, a one-year rate cap, and then he's going to reevaluate. And, and for him, he's thinking bridge debt in a year. Well, that rate cap insurance in a year is going to be a lot cheaper than it is now. That's not necessarily my advice, but <laughs> Um, I think there may be different bridge products. Bridge products right now, it seems like it's been a whole percent 
you know, more expensive per month. So um, on their interest rate. So, I, you know, you just really would have to find the right lender for that type of thing. Got it. Cool. Thank you. You got it. And I have a, I have a feeling that Jerry probably has a comment for that. And that's why yeah, he raised he might. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, how's it going guys? Good. Hey, uh, yeah, we're working on uh, on an agency loan right now through uh, Fannie uh, for a customer that's doing it uh, with student housing. Um, you know, and and we are like probably uh, fifty five basis points higher on on the debt end than than if it wasn't okay. student housing. Be worse, yeah. But but the uh, you know the agencies are not liking uh, student housing in um you know the secondary schools so if you got the bigger schools like ut uh, uk here where i'm at university of kentucky or university of cincinnati they, they like the big schools yeah uh, but not like in the uh the smaller institutions and the smaller state schools and things they i mean they're they're, they're not as, as stable so it's all about stability yeah yeah it goes back to the location so basically, uh, you know, national kind of, you know, not the, not the local school. Yeah, generally not. I mean, if you're in a good location, otherwise, I mean, you know, agency mm -hmm. debt is fluid. So, I mean, if you're if you're in a good location, otherwise, and and they 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 see it it working even if it wasn't, you know, all students or whatever. Um, but but yeah, student student housing is a little tough, but but it can be done if you're in a good market. Got it. And then we don't have 90% occupancy. So agency debt is not even a possibility, right? No, I mean, they, they lend on uh, student housing. Yeah. I mean, if it's not 90%, you know, you can need three months, 90% or better. Um, Unless you have Jerry Miles who convinces them otherwise that they <laughs> maybe join the requirements. Now, can't you get it? I thought you could get agency at 85%. Is that not right? I've not seen it happen. You haven't seen it happen? Yeah. No. No, I mean, it's it's fluid. It's a fluid market. I mean, you know, the agencies are really needing to lend some money out. You know, they're, they they have that allotment of money. And and it, and right now, it doesn't look like they're going to use it all up this year. So, I mean, as just they get more desperate to lend, they're going to. They're going to. They're going to way not use it all up this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, 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 Jerry, do you do loans? Uh, would it be okay if I contact you offline? Yeah, give me a call. I'll put my stuff in the chat. Sure. You don't know Jerry Miles, our go-to debt broker in the multifamily freedom chasers community. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry is our go-to guy uh, uh, for everybody here. Make sure to reach out to him. You can ask him any kind of questions uh, awesome. without getting that uh, anxiety of uh, um, the lender might feeling you you just start out or why don't you know this answer to this question? So, right. Jerry's awesome. And Jerry, um, before 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 you uh, hop off here, there's a question in the chat. Um, I know you can probably explain this the best, although, although simple questions. When you refer to bridge loans, does that mean adjustable rate, mortgage, or floater, or variable? A bridge loan, I mean, it, it, a bridge loan could be a lot of different things. I mean, a bridge loan sometimes will come from from a bank. It's just a short term short term debt, um, you know. And I mean it. It really could be just as simple as, uh, 
you know, I mean, a, a fix and flip loan is, is a bridge loan, you know, and that could come from grandma, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just short-term debt. Um, usually, you know, one to three years, um, interest only. Uh, so, you know, if, if you borrow a million bucks and you're at 10% on your bridge, you're going to owe a hundred thousand a year in, in payments on that. So thank you. Marcel, this is Peter. I, I just want to make a comment on that. If, yeah, don't assume that just because it's a bridge that it's a variable rate loan. It doesn't have to be variable. It can be fixed. Yeah. We hear all the talk about the variable rate stuff because that's where people are going to get crushed. But bridge loans can be have a fixed rate. Great point, Peter. Great point. All right. I would say, guys, we have one more question. I want to I wanna give Natasha the chance to ask her question as well. And uh, I would say then... We conclude. We're already five minutes over. <laughs> hey, thanks. Hi, Nathan. Um, uh, I have a question about the sponsoring team. So, you know, there's the GP team that wants to buy the deal. And if you're kind of beginning and you need somebody to back you, I think that's the KP. Is that right? I mean, the KP is like your money guy. So that means he's got, oh. he's got the net worth in order for you to get the loan. Yeah. So, so how is that guy protected when things go south with the GP team? Like say that Houston guy, I mean, he was fairly new to the game. Did he have anybody that was watching him or did he not need that anymore? And, and what's kind of their, yeah. what is their responsibility or liability as far as, you know, protecting investors or uh, just kind of do they monitor the deal? Do they monitor the books? Uh, who, how is this person who's sponsoring the GP team who might be new? How is that guy protected or does he even need to be? Or, I mean, I think those were non-recourse loans, but the KP was in bad. Maybe Jerry can speak to this better than I can too, to be honest, but the KP was on the hook for that loan. I'm sure the KP uh, okay. took a hit, took I don't, I don't know what he's going to be able to buy for a long time after, after this has happened, um, after that foreclosure. So, um, I mean, the, sure, it, and you're almost getting in, the, in the, the, the legal department too. Yes, there were some things mishandled. So, I don't know what kind of liability that's going to have. I don't know if people are going to file lawsuits against him or if the sec may even come after him if he wasn't handling certain things correctly right uh, and so that's i guess with any new team who wants somebody to help sponsor how is the sponsor protected and and i guess you know you know if if i were to ask someone hey could you do this how would I protect them other than maybe being on a team that runs a good deal and runs a good shop you know, how do they protect themselves? Or do they just say no if you don't think you can do it? I mean, all that depends on your operating agreement too. So there may be some things in your operating agreement where if all the GPs can vote out your your lead GP if he's not getting the job done. Okay. Sometimes that's in there, sometimes it's not. So, um, you know, your I would think your lead GP is going to be the guy that holds the most weight, and with the with the deal and that deal in Houston, a lot of these safeguards that we talked about today were not in that deal. 
So, um, so you've really got to safeguard everything up front and you've really got to do the asset management because I don't think the asset management was done very well either. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Sure. Yeah, could I say something real quick there, Marcel? Sure. Always, yeah. Jerry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there could be so many different, I mean, there's so many things that we don't know about this uh, deal that went bad in Houston. That's true. I mean, you know, it could be, um, I mean, there could be uh, mechanical things that that cost them so much money that, that it ran them under. I mean, there, there's, you know, we, we just never know. I mean, insurance, taxes, all, all those things play a part. And if they were real tight on numbers already, and you have insurance doubles, taxes go up, you know, they go to an adjustable rate, um, you know, and then they're just maybe, uh, maybe breaking even. And then they have a big problem with plumbing that's going to cost a couple million bucks and they're sunk, you know, and, and it's just, you, you never know what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, so it, it's hard to say what went wrong here, but I, I um, did see, and I don't know, I don't know, uh, you know, everything I read in articles about it, you know, what's true and what's not, but it showed that it went to the courthouse steps to to sell and it didn't sell for the debt price. So whatever the debt was on it, it didn't sell for that price. So it tells me that there's some other things going on that, um, that, that we don't know as well. So, and usually they won't come after people, uh, you know, like the, um, you know, the GP team and the KP and all that. I mean, you know, there's so sometimes it's, uh, you know, non, non recourse, sometimes it's recourse. Um, but you know, if it's a non recourse, the time it's going to really, uh, really come after them is if they find that they've been committing some fraud or something like that. So. Great. Hey, Jerry, can I ask a follow-up question? Yeah. So a lot of times I hear, uh, that, you know, if it's a non recourse loan, you know, basically there is KP is not at risk, you know, even though he's, uh, you know, putting his net worth and liquidity, there is no risk to the KP. So let's say there is a loan, non-recourse loan, and the deal goes under. Similar to Houston, right? Goes to foreclosure and blah, 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 right? Uh, what happens to the KP? Will he be able to get another loan, uh, uh, you know, or, you know, basically no impact? Because a lot of people say if it's non-recourse, there is no impact. Is that true? I mean, generally the KP is going to be um, having his hand in it. You know, uh, a guy, a guy that's um, a smart guy or girl is going to going to be watching and making sure that things are good. You know, you're you're not going to sign your name on five million or ten million in debt and um, and turn your back on it and just expect things are good and, unless you have a long relationship and things with with these people you're working with. Even then, you're going to watch it. So, I mean. So, I mean, there's, there's irresponsible people out there, but there's, there's fewer irresponsible people that have five or $10 million net worth that will sign on a deal like that. So, um, you know, but, but when something goes South, if it's non-recourse, uh, they're going to be looking for reasons to come after you still. So they're going to dig deep. Yeah. And I guarantee you, everybody, all your GPs on that deal probably had money in the deal as well. So, I mean, they, they lost to them and all their LPs. Yep. Yep. All right, everybody. Hey, we're 12 minutes over. Thanks everybody for sticking around. I hope this added some value to you guys. If it did, you know how we roll. Take a picture of the screen here. 
I just put Nathan's IG channel also here in the chats. You have mine already in my name. Shoot a picture here, put it on Instagram, tell everybody you liked it. Tell people to plug into the community, right? If you want to do more of these, let us know. We will. Thank you, Nathan, uh, for coming and spending your evening here with us. Yeah, Highly yeah thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wouldn't, wouldn't, would never, never not do that. <laughs> next, <laughs> next, next thing coming up, guys. Sunday, we'll have our activation Zoom. We'll have Sujay Mehta on our call here. Sujay owns 16 hotels in the Columbus, Ohio markets. Cool. Sujay is a great guy to talk. What does it look like, multifamily versus hotels? And what does it take to really go from zero to hero? Because the path is really the same. Commercial real estate, you know, there, there, is, there is some commonalities. And we're super excited to hear his story and give us his juice his activation, his motivation for us to go and start taking action uh, the following week again. So with that, everybody, thanks for joining tonight. Go back to your families. Enjoy the rest of the evening. And uh, yeah, we see you on Sunday. With that, 